Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. Uh, pleasure to have you have you listen to us again. Uh, this is uh, a pretty exciting episode to me. We have uh, the author Sherry Woolsley with us. And as always, we have the, the co-host with the uh, co-host, that didn't work, uh, Carlo. And Carlo, uh, why don't you talk about uh, what she's done, how you met, all that stuff. So... Uh, yeah. Hi. Hi, Sherry. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so um, Sherry and I actually know each other. We are in uh, the actual same writing group together. Um, although, Sherry, you have other writing groups that are sort of you, you farm off other things to us. But you had brought parts of this novel uh, to be workshopped at, uh, at our writing group. Correct. And this is way before, like, I, you'd been working on this ever since you started coming. How how long has it been? I, I, my, time is no longer a concept that I that, that I comprehend anymore. So, how long have you been coming to the to the writing circle? Well, I guess I've been coming to the writing circle since a little before um, I first submitted to their amateur contest, which was, I guess, in 2013, and. Yeah. Um, I did well in the contest, and so then I started actually, you know, attending the the writer's critique group. Gotcha. And this is uh, just so that anyone is not um, in our writing group <laughs> knows <laughs> that this is the Baltimore Science Fiction Society uh, building has their they have their own building, which is sort of an odd thing, or it's an anomalous to most um, science fiction uh, clubs or, or membership type situations that uh, they actually have it's like it's one of three places and i forget uh which the which of the other two it is i think there's one up in boston and maybe in la that actually own a like a place it's not like just showing up at someone's house every friday or whatever um and so as a result we do have this wonderful restored the you know like uh, 20th century theater that um has a lot of space and part of that space is used by us for our writing group amongst many other activities um you know but- what i always pictured carlo you, you know how like the the church basement sort of schedules out it's like like uh six to seven is al-anon and seven to eight is the Baltimore Writers Group. So I don't know how I got that into my head, but you're you're revealing a new world to me. <laughs> well, it's it's you're not too far off the mark. Uh, generally, uh, that's a that's like a Saturday. Uh, there are like uh, like several slots of different groups that either 
will intermingle or clear out before the next one comes in and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's like an anime watch, uh, uh, anime group. Not right now, obviously. I'm guessing that all of that's gone remotely. But, uh, you know, there's a book club. There's uh, several, uh, there's like a Saturday uh, film uh, club or something like that where they, they'll present movies on a big screen and whatnot. And uh, it's, it's, it's definitely fun to have your own physical space, which is, you know, like I said, not, it's not exactly the same thing uh, with many other uh, organizations. Well, and there's something else about the space, which is that it's covered by books. Oh, I mean, yes. the walls are literally covered in bookshelves. Yes. And it's just this this feeling of being surrounded by by art. And yep. then, uh, you know, you walk into the larger room and you happen to look up and you've got a Dalek from Doctor Who looking down at you. <laughs> yep. You know, thematically, Doctor Who has come up in the last three episodes. I don't know what's going on there. But. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, to be honest with you, Pete, it's not me. <laughs> you're, okay, sorry. I, uh, no, 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 no. You're, you're absolutely right. It's a synchronicity, but uh, it, it can't be me because I am not a Whovian in, in any way, shape, or form. I think I've seen maybe one or two episodes altogether. Okay, um, I have I have a theory for uh, an episode or two this summer. Then we'll talk about it later. There you go. So Sherry, I would like to do sort of. Oh, can I call you Sherry? We did. We didn't uh, establish yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, I I would like to start with sort of a combination question praise thing, which is um, I started reading Walk Through Walking Through Fire and finished it at the same sitting. Oh my I, gosh. I loved this book. It really connected to me. And wow. uh, to the, the people listening at home, one, just, just go buy it and read it yourself. The, the episode will make more sense. But um, it's, a, it, it's a magic returns or, you know, the God's return sort of novel. I'm a huge fan of those. But you go someplace unusual with it. It's like a survivalist apocalypse thing where the gods come back. So it's not about what's going on so much as how are we going to get flour and clean water, you know? But yeah. the, the, the other thing that re I have got to get to the question part of this, good Lord. Uh, <laughs> the, what, really, what really set this apart for me was that there were things in there that really felt like lived experience. Like there, there was some discussion of, of uh, cancer survivorship that plays an important role in the story. And... Um, I've I've been in a bad tornado and I know how insane people act mm -hmm. and how a combination of, of selfish and against their own interests. You know, I'm not trying to be negative, but it's just fact. And when you see how people react to this disaster, um, they do some incredibly stupid things. And that was very uh, I mean, you knew that. And so well, I guess my question is, how much of this is, is uh, lived experience and how do you apply that to your work? I don't even know what the question is. Could you run with this? <laughs> I can absolutely run with this. But the first thing I have to point out is, you know, the toilet paper shortage with COVID-19. Like, why? Why did people suddenly need toilet paper? Were they not using it before? 
Yeah. And yet we had this amazing run on everyone had to go to the grocery store and get milk and toilet paper. So yes, people do have these kind of um, tendencies of what they think they need to survive that maybe are not so necessary. So I just have to get that out of the way. Um, as to the lived experience, yes. Um, I began the rough draft of this in 2012. And um, at that point, I was in hospital room number 833 with my two and a half year old daughter um, who had been diagnosed with leukemia. Oh and um, yeah, so what was happening is I had I had written before this, I'd written short stories, I'd done literary things, whatever, and um, it just hadn't worked out. So I kind of quit writing. But when I was in that hospital room and it was just me and her, and um, she would fall asleep. Writing was the only thing I could do to process what was happening. And around that time, back in 2012, that's when everyone was kind of talking about the the Mayan long count and oh, um, yes. the end of the world. And uh, my my degree actually is in comparative mythology. I taught introduction to world mythology at University of Maryland. So I've got all this bouncing around in my head and um, I began to think, you know, what would happen? What would happen if you were a mother of a child with cancer and the gods came back? How how would that look? And so that was really kind of what started um, the, the story process. And it was just kind of in my head and I'd kind of write little parts, but it wasn't. Um, I didn't try to put it together in any way other than for myself until um, something else very painful happened. And that was that um, while I was with my daughter, I have three other children, including um, my daughter who is diagnosed actually has an identical twin and they had never been separated before this. So I was leaving um, the other twin who I'd never been separated from and who she'd never been separated from her sister and my daughter and my son. And I was missing all the things that I was normally there for and including soccer practice and first day of school and all of those things. And my son was in first grade and his teacher called me and she said, I'm very sorry, Mrs. Woosley to bother you. I know you're in the hospital. I know you haven't left, you know, um, you haven't even gotten home yet but I need to let you know about something that happened in school today. And uh, she described to me a, an exercise that the first graders did where they would draw a picture for two thirds of a page. And in the underneath that picture, they're supposed to stretch spell a sentence. And my son had drawn a picture and underneath it, he had written, I wish that I had leukemia so my mom would spend time with me. And I'm sure that parents everywhere understand how much that broke my heart. But I couldn't leave my daughter, not while she was being treated for leukemia, not with everything, just the hell that she was going through every day with all of the different chemos, all of the needle pricks, everything with that, I couldn't leave. So on my next phone conversation with my son, I said, buddy, I wish I could be with you too. And, you know, if, if it was you and me, you know, maybe we could have some adventures. 
And so then I took the little story kernels I had been writing out as a kind of a therapy, right? As a, as a way to process what was happening to me through fantasy. I began to start putting those stories together as if it was me and my son having the adventures. And I was able to kind of give that to him. And then um, after, I, I believe, I believe my daughter and I were in the hospital for 28 or 31 days straight before we were released the first time. And, um, and so after that, I would take what happened in my family's life and incorporate it into the story I was telling my son. So, for example, um, it's not a spoiler to tell you that there are zombie horseshoe crabs in my novel. And that is because, you know, down in Ocean City, they have an exhibit of horseshoe crabs. And so we were down there and we saw that. And so he and I turned it into zombie horseshoe crabs because that was more exciting and more fantastic. But I've got those memories inside that entire book of walking through fire. It, it literally is what my family was going through. So, yeah. Jesus, Sherry, that's that's a much better answer than I ever could have hoped for. Thank you for, <laughs> I mean, thank you for being open with that. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a powerful story, and I mean, I um I I don't know how to say this without sounding like a dork. I felt it like there were things within there that did connect to me, like the disaster thing or um the. There, there were some relationships issues in, in terms of, of talking through the husband and those like that hit me like dead on. And it I honestly, I think the book would would work anyway. But you, you've done something really interesting and powerful here that you don't normally see. And I think it's I mean, it really puts a smile on my face that you're a you were able to uh well, I mean, like it wasn't necessarily for me, like using it as a, a tool to connect to your son is, is, uh, I mean, heartwarming just doesn't cover it. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And, you know, I didn't put that in the back of the book, you know, in the acknowledgements, I didn't say this is the story of how this book came to be mm -hmm. because part of me was like, oh, I don't want to sensationalize or capitalize on what my daughter and I went through. Mm -hmm. And I have since changed my mind because after my book was published, I had two different people come up to me and say, I have someone with cancer in my life. And when I read your book, I felt seen. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? It's not about me. It's about how I'm connecting to my readers. And so for that reason, I now wish I had been a little more public with why I wrote the book instead of trying to keep it more of a low key secret. Yeah. Well, I mean, when somebody's deliberately trying to push your buttons, I mean, we live, we live in a culture where like a, a vast portion of everybody's time and energy is out there trying to push your buttons. So you buy the right toothbrush. And so we're all really sensitive to it. That's, that's clearly not what was happening here. I mean, it was, it was, it was you talking to someone else and it, and it connected. And I just, it's, it's, it's really powerful. I'm over praising you. I'm sorry, Sherry. I just like this, <laughs> this was wonderful. I'm so glad. I, I'm really glad you connected with it. That makes me happy. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, I also wanted to uh, jump in and say that, you know, I, I fully understand your dilemma 
in not uh, wanting to sort of uh, bring out to the public anything because that, you know, that it's sort of your private life and you don't want to sort of have people uh, putting their grubby little fingers on your private, you know, your private affairs and so on and so forth. But at the same time, it speaks to, uh, I feel like it speaks to a certain, you know, a certain experience that is authentic. And I think people need to know that. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm just, this is not a question. This is simply agreeing with you and coming at it from a different angle, I feel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I've, I've got one. Um, so uh, maybe to change gears, because th- this is getting really real. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned before that uh, about your, your uh, teaching career um, yes. at the University of Maryland. And so I've, I've tried to read the Epic of Gilgamesh, and I've tried to get into that mostly because I was a Dungeons and Dragons head back in the day. But it is really hard for me to read that stuff. It's, it's like, like stereo instructions written by a pervert. Like it, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know how the sentences fit together. When you get there, it's often something gross. And I, I have trouble tracking it. So you clearly understand and connect with the stuff and you had fun with it you played with it in here like how much of that was you know this this is knowledge i have as a result of my career and how much of this was like i enjoy this 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 window into the past like what what's going on with you there okay yeah so great question and um so i did teach when i taught introduction to world mythology we did teach gilgamesh and I also taught um, Inanna. And Inanna, of course, is the goddess of love and beauty and sexuality. Um, and she actually has to descend to the underworld to achieve um, a certain knowledge and wisdom. And um, I found it very interesting. But uh, there was one part, kind of to speak to what you just said, where she basically is writing poetry or, or an encomium to her private parts. And so that was very um, awkward for me to be teaching. <laughs> and, um, you know, that would be something, even though they're college students, I'd be like, okay, we'll just, you know, just read that section and we'll, we'll talk about what comes after, you know. And um, I had one young man raise his hand and the, like, he was not even teasing me. He was being serious. And he asked me what one of the words of her anatomy meant and my face just turned beet red and I'm like oh <laughs> you know um and uh, a female student next to him leaned over and held her hand up and whispered something to him and his cheeks turned red and we just moved on with class we're like okay <laughs> you know what <laughs> let's just keep going and pretend that didn't happen um so that was that was definitely something that I will never quite forget. As I think that was actually my very first semester of teaching that that happened. Um, but in your to your question of what's my interest is, I grew up um, in an evangelical Christian home. Um, I have since parted from that. But when you are taught something like from before you can even speak, when you read these stories, they have a realness, and so. The, the Sumerian, the Mesopotamian gods and, and the mythology, 
are occurring at the same time as the Old Testament, which I had brought up to believe was literally true. So for me, it was not much of a leap to be like, okay, well, if it's true, let's bring them back. Let's see what happens. Um, and so I, I think I was able to make it more literal because of that, that childlike introduction um, to the Old Testament. I'm like, oh, wait, that book of Esther, she was given a name, you know, from the Babylonians, which is Ishtar. And Ishtar is what they used to, you know, was previously Inanna. And so it's like this tracing back where I felt like, okay, I'm getting it. I'm seeing how all of this evolved and how it changed. And, and I, I feel like this is maybe a mythology I can work with because it is a combination of me as an American and how I viewed the Old Testament and how I viewed, you know, Mesopotamia. And so I think that mix comes into my book because it, for me, it was just the next step. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, Carlo, I'm monopolizing. So at any point, ring the bell and I will shut up as long as you want. Okay. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Okay. I do have a follow up here because it ties sort of, uh, I, I, I was definitely looking very close for this because I mean, I, I obviously I saw sort of the, the Judeo Christian fragments in here and the Sumerian, but occasionally there were hints like, hey, that dragon is Middle Eastern. And the <laughs> the implication is that, you know, there there are Chinese dragons too. And there are Nordic dragons too. And that that really sort of made me wonder as I was reading through this, what was what was happening elsewhere? Like, um are 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 the Aboriginal Aborigines in in Australia experiencing the dream time? Like what's happening in China and why didn't why didn't coyote and raven show up here? You know what I mean? And like were were those were those hints just wish fulfillment on on my part? Or is there um I, I guess I guess what I'm asking is why why did the Sumerians come to Baltimore? Yeah, and um, that's a great question. Um, so just to speak to the dragons, um, so Nemu the goddess has um, a dragon form because she is also Tiamat, and Tiamat is the three headed dragon, and that that speaks to in the mythology she um, was actually fighting with the younger Babylonian god Marduk. And he was able to beat her at one point and to show incredible disrespect, he sliced her body in half and made his army march through the two halves of her body. So um, that's one of the reasons she has a grudge against him, as you'll see in the book. Um, but when I was thinking of, well, okay, if Tiamat's a three-headed dragon and this takes place, you know, in the Middle East, what kind of dragon would that look like? And so for that reason, I, I pictured more of an Eastern-style dragon rather than kind of the heavier Western dragon. Um, I, as to what's going on in the rest of the world, um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's a little bit like The Walking Dead which is where you're just so busy staring at Georgia to figure out what's happening there. Yeah. That at least at the beginning, you're like, okay, let's just figure this out and then we'll see what's going on with the world. Um, 
And then again, you know, why, why did they land in Baltimore? Um, I'm going to kind of lean a little bit on, um, on the book American Gods, which is that, um, you know, these gods are how are here in America, we would have seen them. We would see these incarnations where on this extremely old, revered God um, comes across as a, as a man who looks like he belongs in the Old West and walks around talking about being Switzerland and listening to the Beatles. You know, it, it gave me yeah. some room to play by seeing what would that look like here. Is that? It? Yes. Yeah, no, it's, okay. it's, it really answers my question. Can I recommend a book to you as long as we're at this point? Yeah. Uh, have you ever read Terry Pratchett's Small Gods? No, I have not. I'm going to write that down. It's, I mean, it's part of a series, but it's a 40 book series you can go into anywhere. I'm not, I'm not trying to commit you to 40 books, but um, the big thing about Terry Pratchett's Small Gods is gods have sort of an ecosystem and a life cycle. And, right. you know, the power of somebody with one believer is different than one with 40 million. And it's and it's about a it's about a prophet who connects with one small God that's trying to become great again. And mm-hmm. he he introduces the concept of ethics to the gods. It's like okay. if you want to be treated well by us, you've got to stop doing this sort of thing. And it, yes. it, I drew that dotted line in my head. I was reading the small uh, um, American gods too. So that's I, I I love the fact that the the idea the idea that uh, it was culturally formed by a by the way things are done here in some ways, like that that feels really right. That's cool. <laughs> um, I'm writing you know the the sequel right now to Walking Through Fire, and I'm exploring a little more. And having fun with, you know, how the, the, the major gods are showing up and what their territories are about and what they think is going to create the most followers for them. So that's, that's been kind of fun for me. That, well, that's great. Cause yeah, they'll, they'll like try and min max and game the system. That would be really cool. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of uh, Roger Zelazny and the preomats they had installed in Lord of Light. You know, it's like what 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 do they do with automation? You know, yeah. Um, okay. It also, it, it also reminds me. Um, speaking of Terry Pratchett, who is also parodying uh, Fritz Leiber, uh, has that whole sequence in is it Color of Magic. Where the the gods are trying to uh, make rinse Rinswind uh, believe in them. Oh, the like the dice rolling and all of that. Yeah, where, yeah. where he's a game piece. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> basically in in Fritz Leiber, it's more or less the same thing. Uh, almost as funny, uh, but mainly that the the gods are sort of uh, bummed out that. Um, Fafford and the Grey Mouser have not taken their names in vain. Yeah, and they they start doing they start doing things until they finally. I mean, it's almost like a a, a Job story, except it's Fafford and the Grey Mouser. It's like let's turn up the heat until they finally they they finally speak our names. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even even to curse us. Yeah, right. you know, Fritz. He is one of those authors that like the less I know about him, the more I like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It's just 
there's like uh, the like the more I dig, the more it's like I I get hints of creepiness that just sort of make me uncomfortable. But I I grew up with that stuff. I loved it so much. Hey, there's a question I can turn towards Sherry. How did you? Uh, how did you connect with with uh, fantasy to begin with? Like, what what was, where did you start? Were you reading it as a kid? Are you still into it beyond your writing? Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. So, um, so maybe I could lay the blame at the artist Michael Whalen's feet. You know, he did so much of the so many of those beautiful covers for fantasy and science fiction. Um, that my my dad who is a a big reader um belonged to like those book clubs and Mm -hmm. the books would be delivered and so that's how i first got into ann mccaffrey and her um dragons of pern series because i saw those beautiful covers and um from there like he did that joan d vinge one too like the the snow queen i think he's done so many things like and they're just they're just gorgeous, you know? And um, anyway, so I, I definitely read science fiction and fantasy my entire life. And then when I went to, um, I went to college, um, my undergraduate was in English literature. And so I started, you know, reading more of the classics. And, um, and then I took a brief break and I went over to Prague Uh, over in the Czech Republic and I taught English there. And so while I was there, I went to their used bookstore, um, which is where all the expat, all the cool expats hung out (laughs) and, um, you know, tried to read some translations of Czech literature to kind of help me understand where I was living. And then, uh, and then I came back to the U S and I, I, then I actually um, spent a year working in an alternative high school, um, which was interesting down in Catonsville. And uh, so then I was teaching like Romeo and Juliet and kind of those two, uh, the kids who had been kicked out of their homeschools. And so I was trying to make that interesting as a way to engage their interest. And then um, when I got accepted to College Park, I was like, you know what, what do I want to do? I was like, I want to go back to fairy tales. I want to go back to mythology. I want to go back to the fantasy that I first fell in love with. So um, at that point, I began to start uh, switching my second year of my master's towards just sucking up as many uh, medieval classes as I could, any mythology classes I could, anything that seemed remotely like I could I could spin it towards my own interests. And um, yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's I I mean, I I always it's one of the nice things about getting a chance to talk to authors through this this podcast is more and more I'm finding that they're um, well they're super fans like me on some level I mean that that was one of the neat things about connecting with Carlo too is discovering that 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 my my interests are something they share I'm not just a customer you know mm-hmm. um oh go ahead Carlo I, I was just gonna ask you um sherry so what what exactly, I guess, uh, what calls to you in, in sort of fairy tales and, and mythology? What exactly yeah. is the, the thing that, that sort of beckons to you, that, that invites you into write and use it as sort of like a, a way to play with things? It's a great question. And, and Carlo, I know you use mythology in your own writing. Um, so 
I maybe your answer will be different than mine, but I guess what I like is that there's these basic questions of what does it mean to be a culture? What does it mean to be civilized? What does it mean to have immense power? Because so often, you know, you've got these gods and goddesses and deities and they can they can manipulate the weather, they can manipulate, you know, animals, they can they can manifest things. Um and yet very often they act like spoiled children. So what does it mean to be human in a world where others have more power? What does it mean that we should aspire to? And, and so I've got that kind of like these big cosmic questions, right? And then on a very personal level, you know, I am a Christian. And even though I go to kind of a, a more liberal church now, it, it's, it's kind of the same things that I've, I've been asking ever since I was, you know, a child is, you know, is there a God? Why are we told to love our neighbors? What does it mean if we don't? And so for me, it's like, yes, there's these big cosmic questions, but at the same time, it's on a very personal level of let's talk about stories of people and what they did that were right or wrong. And how can I bring that into my own life right now, this moment? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I suppose that one of the big questions uh, that is when you're talking about mythologies where the the gods act like little children, uh, it brought to mind, you know, specifically Greek mythology, where it's sort of teaching you if we're going to accept the 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 myths of say Zeus and the Olympians. It's really what it's teaching you is that you have to sort of navigate these as a as a regular person. You have to sort of navigate these different these different entities that have different spheres of influence and try not to piss off anyone too much, right. um, <laughs> because otherwise, you know, the, they'll they'll send something after you. They may forget after after that, and if it doesn't kill you, but you know, it's best not to try you know incur their wrath right away. Um, well, and they're and, also and, codes. I mean, you, you know, when you're talking about Athena being the goddess of effective war, hating Ares, the, the god of bloody war, I mean, they're talking about war some on some level, not just two people who hate each other. Right, right. And I think that that's the it, – it's the idea of – Athena being the idea of, say, the more modern term of surgical strike versus um, – you know, versus sort of just a mass slaughter. So yeah. – uh, which Aries would love mass slaughter? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He's not very picky. Um, but yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. It, it sort of also speaks back to uh, the culture itself. Now, how do you uh, square that with, say, and granted, I, I, this may sound a little uh, a little dismissive, but you know, in, in Christianity the god you know god in christianity is all powerful and is not sort of limitless limited in any way shape or form so you know i'm guessing the basic questions we have now are sort of you know if god is love why does pain exist you know that type of thing uh do you find that that was something you were grappling with speaking of comparative mythology how did that you know work with you internally like Squaring that circle, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, um, 
let me see if I can try to get a handle on this and I'm going to talk my way through it. So I'm sorry if I don't make any sense. Okay. So I absolutely believe in God with a capital G. And then I think the New Testament is, is a more of a blueprint for, you know, when Jesus was made flesh, how we're supposed to act. And now I'm going to pull in something else just to make this truly, you know, patchwork. Um, my day job is I'm a yoga instructor. And so I'm often meshing to me. It seems that those layers go together of, um, you know, in yogic thought, you are supposed to enjoy life, but not to excess. And so then I'll be like, oh, wait, but that reminds me of, you know, in the gospel of Mark where, you know, it's okay to do this, but not too far. And so, um, in that way, I'm trying to bring that into my book, which is that there is a creator with a capital C. But my gods with a, with a lowercase g are also called misbegotten because they, are, they were not supposed to exist. And so they are the Nephilim that we hear about in Genesis. They are the offspring of angels and humans. And so for that reason, in my mythology, and I guess really my personal thought, is that it's these beings with a lot of power that they can't control because they've got those human emotions, they've got the human motivations, they don't want to aspire to get back to heaven. Instead, they want to go ahead and create their territories here and, and enjoy that power by choosing, okay, well, I'm going to have a military cast to my territory and this person's like well i'm going to take commerce and then we've got someone else who's like well i'm going to have the art district and we're going to be in charge of clothing and it's this this game of of risk in which you know they're trying to set up as much power as they can and and they've kind of forgotten the fact that they are also spiritual beings who if they really wanted to focus could maybe get back to heaven and so that kind of um is how i see it does that make sense, or did I just totally talk in a circle? No, no, I, I think that makes perfect sense to me. Um, yeah, no, I, I loved it, frankly. So, Pete, you had something else? Oh, yeah. Well, <clears throat> in some ways, I, I think I think you've already uh, covered this fairly well, Sherry, but I, I just kind of wanted to ask it head on, is that um, you, you do a really good job of keeping the, the view of the book with the view of the hero like all of these e enormous widespread things are happening uh so like on an epic scale around her and she's trying to start her car and <laughs> i get i guess my question is um how much of uh how do i put this if i i i am not a writer uh, but if I were and I had designed a whole cosmology and knew exactly what was going to happen, I don't think I could resist sharing it with everybody. So, like, is this wholly mapped out in your head? Or have you said, we need to know this part, I'm building this piece of the puzzle, that's what she sees? I mean, does that make sense even as a question? It, it absolutely does. And um, I actually had one um, well-known blogger review my book, and he's like, um, this should have been multiple points of view. I wanted to see more of the world. I wanted to see more of the story. 
And I was like, you know what? That's fair. Um, but like I said, I explained to you how and why I wrote the book. And that's just the way that's, I wrote what I was experiencing with my family. That's all I could see. I was looking straight ahead. So that's why the book is the, is the way it is. Um, now the second book, the one I'm working on now, I think I have two, three, four. I have four different points of view um, because now people have to start moving around. Things are happening and I couldn't just do it um, through Rachel anymore. Is it is it longer because of that? Um, I think it's going to end up being around the same length, around 110,000 words. Okay. Could could we have you back to talk about it? Of course. Okay, because this is, uh, the, I I am really happy with this interview. I mean, I it's I, I I can't you you've really you've really gone out of our way to let us talk about your process, and I'm really grateful. Oh my gosh, I'm glad you find it interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. That's uh, Carlo. What do you think? Is is there anywhere else you want to go with this, or should we talk about Sherry's projects? I don't think I have much else. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, let Sherry let us know where we can find more of her projects. Okay. Well, I have two short stories coming out. One um, is in issue seven of Dream Forge magazine, and it is a retelling of Hansel and Gretel. And um, I think, Carlo, I think you've actually read uh, an early version of this from Circle. Okay. Um, it's called Monsters Beautiful and Bright. I may have, yeah. Um, so that should be coming out this year, like in, in 2020. And then um, in February of 2021, I have a short story coming out in Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2, um, which is an anthology of um, pulp fiction. And my story is actually not fantasy. It was actually a little hard to write because there were no dragons. Um, <laughs> but I have a I have a cowgirl and I got a teacher in the 1850s in the Wild West and I've got a, a wild Mustang. So it, it came together. Well, that, I'm guessing that you brought your uh, horse knowledge to this. I did. Yes, I actually I have a thoroughbred mare. But at the stable where I ride, um, the woman is a is a Mustang adopter. So she actually purchases Mustangs sight unseen or just like seen through the computer, brings them to her stable and she trains them and then finds them homes. And one of her her very first Mustang is named Woodrow. And so that's who I named the horse in the story. I named him Woodrow. <laughs> Uh, could I share my horse story? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this, I, I love horses, but I'm also scared of them now. Uh, my, <laughs> my parents weren't wealthy, but they really wanted to make sure I got a, a wide range of experiences. So they bought me a Shetland pony when Aww. I was like eight. Oh, it was amazing. Like that's, I, I, I don't know if I'd do it now, but I'm, I'm incredibly touched they did it then. And I was also really into zoology, and mm -hmm. I got really fascinated by uh, butterflies and cocooning. And I had been reading about a type of butterfly that, or a type of moth, actually, that would embed itself in the sides of cattle in, in Brazil. 
I mean, it was okay. like parasitic. Yeah. And I was I was looking after Buttercup, who was not like if this if this pony was a person, she would not be a very nice person. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I um I found a lump on her leg, and oh, I thought no. it was yeah. I, I know I th- where this is going. <laughs> yes, I, I, I tried to remove uh, Buttercup's toe. <gasps> and oh. absolutely understandably, she did a Mexican hat <gasps> dance on me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I can, I'm just picturing, like, this is literally a movie in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, it's oh like everybody bent well, but hey, uh... Yeah, that was that was sort of the end of my alone time with the pony. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So That's... what you're saying, Pete, is that you were wheeled in uh, Hannibal Lecter style to see the pony every once yeah, in a yeah, while. Yeah, <laughs> well, going forward, my dad was there, and and Buttercup behaved herself, and I behaved myself, and it, it, it was it was sort of like the the prison yard after that. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh! No. Wow. <sighs> okay well, well okay um, that's not actually where i thought you were going with that story <laughs> i that that just took a turn I sorry thought, okay <laughs> so my daughter was in the animal science program at her high school and so we had rabbits for a while and um one of them got like uh, a lump and was she, the animal had pulled all the fur off around the lump I'm like, oh gosh, what's going on? So we took the the rabbit to the vet, and she's like, oh look! And when you look down, there was a parasite inside under the flesh, and it would come to the hole in the skin to breathe, oh! and then go back. Yeah, a bot fly. And so they're like, the rabbit must have emergency surgery, and I'm like, oh my, yes, yes, surgery right now. Um. Anyway, so. The rabbit has surgery there. Move the bot fly. I get the medical bill. We go and pick up the the rabbit and we get home. There's another one. There's another one in the rabbit's flank that they had missed. Oh, no. Well, we looked at the cost of the surgery and the anesthesia and the three antibiotics we had to give the rabbit. And we said, well, we can't do this again. It's like we just we can't afford that. And so we watched a YouTube video and we got tweezers and Vaseline and we did it. A do it yourself bot fly removal right in our garage. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I definitely wasn't doing that. Wow. That is, <laughs> you know, it is sort of amazing how you can do anything now if you find the right survivalist on YouTube to explain it to you. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Weirdly circling back to, uh, you know, basically uh, anyone who believes the apocalypse is going to happen, like in your book, Sherry. (laughs) 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 Okay. Well, and and one thing. uh, So do you know, do you have any idea when the next book is, or is it, is it not yet on query? This isn't pressure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so no, it's not under contract yet. So I don't really have any sense of time, but um, I am going through the second pass right now and I don't think it sucks. I think it's actually kind of good. So that's exciting. Well, that, that's always a good thing. 
Yeah. I mean, apart from, you know, the self-doubt where you get to the, it's like, I'm so tired of this fucking story. Can it be done now? It sucks. (laughs) Or like, you're like, I know what's going to happen. Well, of course you know what's going to happen. Like you wrote it. So yeah. (laughs) Yes. Your brain is like sitting there going like, no, can I go to the next shiny thing? Can I do the next thing? Yeah. Can we do that now? Yes. Yeah, uh, it's no. it's it's the difference between uh, between being a chef and somebody who just shows up the restaurant with cash. I'm I I don't envy you guys, but I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else you'd like to add uh, or, or promote, uh, Sherry? Um, you know, if you want to find me, I I have a website, tasteofsherry.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. So. Anyone who wants to connect, connect. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. This was wonderful, Sherry. Yeah, thank you for having me. No problem. Well, we'll, we'll see you soon. Uh, fingers crossed. Yes. <laughs> to save the day or maybe melt away. I guess it's all the same. So I will walk through the fire. Because we're Torch I bear is scorching me Buffy's laughing, I've no doubt